Chapters fourteen and fifteen of the Shepherd of the Hills. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Emily Jomard. The Shepherd of the Hills by Harold Bell Wright. Chapter fourteen, the common yeller kind. Mister Howitt stood quietly by the corral gate when the horsemen rode up. It was Wash Gibbs on his way home from an all-day visit with friends on the river. When the big mountaineer took the short cut through Mutton Hollow, he thought to get well past the ranch before the light failed. No matter how well fortified with the courage distilled by his friend Jennings, the big man would never have taken the trail by the old ruined cabin alone after dark. He had evidently been riding at a good pace, for his mule's neck and flanks were wet with sweat. Gibbs himself seemed greatly excited, and one hand rested on the pistol at his hip as he pulled up in front of the shepherd. Without returning Mr. Howitt's greeting, he pointed toward the two empty chairs in front of the house, demanding roughly, "'Who was that with you before you heard me comin'?' "'Sammy Lane was here a few minutes ago,' replied the shepherd. Gibbs uttered an oath. She was, was she? Well, who was the man? There was no man, returned the other. Young Matt and Pete were here for supper, but they went as soon as the meal was finished, before Sammy came. Don't you try to lie to me, exclaimed the big man, with another burst of language and a threatening movement with the hand that rested on the pistol. Mr. Howitt was startled. Never in his life before had such words been addressed to him. He managed to reply with quiet dignity. I have no reason for deceiving you, or anyone else, Mr. Gibbs. There has been no man here but myself since Matt and Pete left after supper. The shepherd's manner carried conviction, and Gibbs hesitated, evidently greatly perplexed. During the pause, Brave growled again, and faced toward the cliff below the corral, his hair bristling. "'What's the matter with that dog?' said Gibbs, turning uneasily in his saddle, to face in the direction the animal was looking. "'What is it, Brave?' said Mr. Howitt. The only answer was an uneasy whine, followed by another growl, all of which said plainly in dog-talk, "'I don't know what it is, but there is something over there on that cliff that I don't like.' "'It must be some animal,' said the shepherd. "'Ain't no animal that makes a dog act like that. "'Did anybody pass while you was a-sittin' there, "'just before I come in sight?' "'Not a soul,' answered the other. "'Did you meet someone down the road?' "'The big man looked at the shepherd hard before he answered, "'in a half-frightened, half-bullying tone. "'I seed something in the road yonder.' and hit disappeared right by the old shack, under the bluffs. He twisted around in his saddle again, facing the cliff with its dense shadows and dim twilight forms, as he muttered, If I was only right sure I— Then, swinging back, he leaned toward the old man on the ground. Look-a-here, mister. There's them that lows there's things in this here holler to be afeard of, and I reckon hit's so. There's sure been hell to pay at that there cabin down yonder. I ain't a-sayin' what it was I seed, but if it were anywhere else, I'd a said it was a man, 
but if it was a man, I don't know why you didn't see him when he come past, or else you're a lion. I just want to tell you. You're right smart of a stranger in these here parts, even if you have been working for old Matt all summer. You're too blame careful about talking about yourself or telling where you come from, to suit some folks. Some strangers are all right, and again some ain't. But we don't aim to have nobody in this here neighborhood what jumps into the brush when they see an honest man a-comin'. As he finished speaking, Gibbs straightened himself in the saddle, and before Mr. Howitt could reply, the dun mule, at a touch of the spur, had dashed away up the road in the direction taken by Sammy Lane. It was quite dark in the heavy timber of the hollow, by the time Sammy had reached the edge of the open ground on the hillside. But once on the higher level, clear of the trees, the strong glow of the western sky still lighted the way. From here it was not far to the girl's home, and as she climbed a spur of dewy, Sammy saw the cabin, and heard distinctly the sweet strains of her father's violin. On top of the rise the young woman paused a moment to enjoy the beauties of the evening, which seemed to come to her with a new meaning that night. As she stood there, her strong young figure was clearly outlined against the sky, to the man who was riding swiftly along the road over which she had just passed. Sammy turned when she heard the quick beating of the mule's feet, then, recognizing the huge form of the horseman, as he came out of the woods into the light, she started quickly away towards her home, but the mule and its rider were soon beside her. "'Howdy, Sammy!' Gibbs leaped from the saddle, and with a bridle rein over his arm, came close to the girl. "'Fine evening for a walk.' "'Howdy,' returned the young woman coolly, quickening her pace. "'You needn't to be in such a powerful hurry,' growled Wash. "'If you've got time to talk to that old cuss at the ranch, you sure got time to talk to me.' Sammy turned angrily. "'You'd better get back on your mule and go about your business, Wash Gibbs. "'When I want you to walk with me, I'll let you know.' "'That's all right, honey,' exclaimed the other insolently. "'I'm a-goin' your way just the same, and we'll mosey along together. "'I was a-goin' home, but I've got business with your pa now.' "'Worst thing for Daddy, too,' flashed the girl. "'I wish you'd stay away from him.' "'Wash laughed.' Your daddy couldn't keep house thout me nohow. Who was that feller talkin' with you and the old man down yonder? There wasn't nobody talkin' to us, replied Sammy shortly. That's what he said, too, growled Gibbs. But I sure seed somebody a-sneakin' into the brush when I rode up. I thought when I was down there it might have been a hint. But I know it was a man now. There's something mighty funny a-goin' on round here, since that feller come into the neighborhood. And he'll sure find something in Mutton Holler more alive than old Matt's gal if he ain't careful. The girl caught her breath quickly. She knew the big ruffian's methods, and with good reason feared for her old friend, should he even unconsciously incur the giant's displeasure. As they drew near the house, Wash continued. Young Matt, he was there, too. Let me tell you I ain't forgot bout his big show at the mill last spring. He'll have to do a heap better than he done then, when I get round to him. Sammy laughed scornfully. "'Pears like you ain't been in no hurry to try it on. 
I ain't heard tell of young Matt's leaving the country yet. You'd better stay away from Jennings still, though, when you do try it. Then, while the man was tying his mule to the fence, she ran into the cabin to greet her father with a hysterical sob that greatly astonished Jim. Before explanations could be made, a step was heard approaching the door, and Sammy had just time to say, "'Wash Gibbs,' in answer to her father's inquiring look, when the big man entered. Mr. Lane arose to hang his violin on its peg. "'Don't stop for me, Jim,' said the newcomer. "'Just let her go. Me and Sammy's been having a nice little walk, and some right part music would sound mighty fine.' Gibbs was angered beyond reason at Sammy's last words, or he would have exercised greater care. Sammy's father made no reply until the girl had left the room, but whatever it was that his keen eye read in his daughter's face, it made him turn to his guest with anything but a cordial manner, and there was that in his voice that should have warned the other. "'So you and Sammy went for a walk, did you?' She was coming home from the sheep ranch, and I caught up with her, explained Gibbs. I loud as how she needed company, so I come long. Seemed to be about as welcome as usual, he added with an ugly grin. Meanin' that my girl don't want your company, and told you so? Asked the other softly. Wash answered with a scowl. Sammy's getting too dad burned good for me since Ollie's uncle took him in. And now this here old man from nowhere has come. It's worse than ever. She'll put a rope round our necks the first thing you know. Jim's right hand slipped quietly inside his hickory shirt where the button was missing, as he drawled. My girl always was too good for some folks. And it's about time you was a-finding it out. She can't help it. She was born that way. She's got mighty good blood in her veins, that girl has. And I don't aim to ever let it be mixed up with none of the low-down, common yeller kind. The deliberate purpose of the speaker was too evident to be mistaken. The other man's hand flew to his hip almost before Mr. Lane had finished his sentence. But Wash was not quick enough. Like a flash, Jim's hand was withdrawn from inside the hickory shirt, and the giant looked squarely into the muzzle of Jim Lane's ever-ready, murderous weapon. In the same even voice, without the slightest allusion to the unfinished movement of the other, Mr. Lane continued, "'I done told you before that my girl would pick her own company, and I ain't never feared for a minute that she'd take up with such as you. Ollie Stewart ain't so mighty much of a man, maybe, but he's clean, he is.' and the stock's pretty good. Now you can just listen to me, or you can mosey out of that door, and the next time we meet we will settle it for good without any further arrangement. As Sammy's father talked, the big figure of his visitor relaxed, and when Jim had finished his slow speech, Wash was leaning forward with his elbows on his knees, his hands clasped in front. "'We ain't got no call to fight now, Jim,' he said in a tone of respect. "'We got something else to think about, and that's what I come here for tonight. "'I didn't aim to—till I seed what I did at the ranch down yonder. "'I tell you it's time we was a-doin' something.' 
At this Mr. Lane's face and manner changed quickly. He put up his weapon, and the two men drew their chairs close together, as though death had not a moment before stretched forth his hand to them. For an hour they sat talking in low tones. Sammy in the next room had heard the conversation up to this point, but now only an occasional word reached her ears. Gibbs seemed to be urging some action, and her father was as vigorously protesting. "'I tell you, Jim, it's the only safe way. You didn't use to be so squeamish.' Several times the old shepherd was mentioned, and also the stranger whom Wash had seen that evening, and once the trembling girl heard young Matt's name. At length the guest rose to go, and Mr. Lane walked with him to the gate. Even after the big man was mounted, the conversation still continued, Wash still urging and Jim still protesting. When his visitor was gone, Mr. Lane came slowly back to the house. Extinguishing the light, he seated himself in the open doorway and filled his pipe. Sammy caught the odor of tobacco, and a moment later Jim heard a light, quick step on the floor behind him. Then two arms went around his neck. "'What is it, Daddy? What is it? Why don't you drive that man away?' "'Did you hear us talking?' asked the man, an anxious note in his voice. "'I heard you talking to him about pestering me, but after that you didn't talk so loud. What is the matter, Daddy, that he could stay and be so thick with you after the things you said? I was sure he'd make you kill him.' Jim laughed softly. You're just like your mother, girl. Just like her. With the old blood a-backin' you up. Then he asked a number of questions about Mr. Howitt, and her visit to the ranch that evening. As Sammy told him of her ambition to fit herself for the place that would be hers when she married, and repeating the things that Mr. Howitt had told her, explained how the shepherd had promised to help, Jim expressed his satisfaction and delight. "'I knowed you was a-studyin' about something, girl,' he said, "'but I didn't say nothin', cause I allowed you'd tell me when you got ready.' "'I didn't want to say nothin' till I was sure, you see,' replied the daughter. "'I aimed to tell you as soon as I got home to-night, but Wash Gibbs didn't give me no chance.' The man held her close. "'Dad Howitt sure put the thing just right, Sammy.' It'll be old times come back when you're a lady in your own house with all your fine friends around. And you'll do it, girl. You sure will. Don't never be afraid to bank on the old blood. It'll see you through. Then his voice broke. You won't never be learned away from your old daddy, will you, honey? Will you always stand by daddy like you do now? Will you let me and young Matt slip round once in a while just to look at you, all so fine? Daddy, Jim, if you don't hush, I'll—I'll—' She hid her face on his shoulder. "'There, there, honey, I was only funnin'. You'll always be my Sammy, the only boy I ever had. You just naturally couldn't be nothin' else.' Long after his daughter had gone to her room and to her bed, the mountaineer sat in the doorway, looking into the dark, he heard the short bark of a fox in the brush back of the stable, and the wild cry of a catamount from a cliff farther down the mountain was answered by another from the timber below the spring. He saw the great hills heaving their dark forms into the sky, 
and in his soul he felt the spirit of the wilderness and the mystery of the hour. At last he went into the house to close and bar the door. Away down in Mutton Hollow a dog barked, and high up on Old Dewey, near Sammy's lookout, a spot of light showed for a moment, then vanished. Chapter 15 The Party at Fords Young Matt would have found some excuse for staying at home the night of the party at Ford's, but the shepherd said he must go. The boy felt that the long evening with Sammy would only hurt. He reasoned with himself that it would be better for him to see as little as possible of the girl who was to marry Ollie Stewart. Nevertheless, he was singing as he saddled the big, white-faced sorrel to ride once more over the trail that is nobody knows how old. Mr. Lane was leading the brown pony from the stable as young Matt rode up to the gate. And from the doorway of the cabin, Sammy called to say that she would be ready in a minute. "'Ain't seen you for a coon's age, boy,' said Jim, while they were waiting for the girl. "'Why don't you never come down the old trail no more?' The big fellow's face reddened as he answered, I ain't been nowhere, Jim. Pears like I just can't get away from the place no more. We're that busy. Sammy's father looked his young neighbor squarely in the eye with that peculiar searching gaze. Look a here, Grant. I've knowed you ever since you was born, and you ought to know me a little. Tain't your way to dodge, and tain't mine. I reckon you know you're welcome, same as always, don't you? Young Matt returned the other's look fairly. "'I ain't never doubted it, Jim, but things is a heap different now, since it's all done and settled, with Ollie gone.' The two understood each other perfectly. Said Jim, drawing a long breath, "'Well, I wish you'd come over just the same anyway. It can't do nobody no harm as I can see.' "'It wouldn't do me no good.' replied the young man. "'Maybe not,' assented Jim. "'But I'd like mighty well to have you come just the same.' Then he drew closer to his young friend. "'I've been aimin' to ride over and see you, Matt. But Sammy said you was a-comin' this evenin', and I allowed this would be soon enough. I reckon you know what Wash Gibbs is tellin' he aims to do first chance he gets.' The giant drew himself up with a grim smile. "'I've heard a good bit, Jim. But you don't need to mind about me. I know I ain't quite growed, but I am a-growin'.' The older man surveyed the great form of the other with a critical eye as he returned. "'Durned if I don't believe you'd push him mighty close, if you'd only play fair. But—but but I allowed you ought to know it was a-comin'.' I have knowed it for a long time, said the other cheerfully. But I heard preachin' Bill say once that if a feller don't fuss about what he knows for sure, the things he don't know ain't apt to bother him none. It's this here guessin' that sure gets a man down. Preachin' Bill hits it every pop, don't he? exclaimed Jim admiringly. But there's something else you ought to know too, Matt. Wash has done made his threats agin the old man down there. "'You mean Dad Howitt? 
said young Matt sharply. "'What's Wash got again Dad, Jim?' Mr. Lane shifted uneasily. "'Some fool notion of his'n. You mind old man Lewis, I reckon?' The big man's muscles tightened. "'Dad told us about his stoppin' at the ranch the other night. Wash Gibbs better keep his hands off Mr. Howitt.' "'I ain't told nobody about this, Grant.' and you can do as you like about telling your father and the old man. But if anything happens, get word to me quick. Before more could be said, Sammy appeared in the doorway, and soon the two young people were riding on their way. Long after they had passed from sight in the depth of the forest, the dark mountaineer stood at the big gate, looking in the direction they had gone. Young Matt was like a captive, tugging at his bonds. Mr. Lane's words had stirred the fire, and the girl's presence by his side added fuel to the flame. He could not speak. He dared not even look at her, but rode with his eyes fixed upon the ground, where the sunlight fell in long bars of gold. Sammy, too, was silent. She felt something that was strangely like fear when she found herself alone with her big neighbor. Now and then she glanced timidly up at him, and tried to find some word with which to break the silence. She half wished that she had not come. So they rode together through the lights and shadows down into the valley, the only creatures in all the free life of the forest who were not free. At last the girl spoke. "'It's mighty good of you to take me over to Mandy's tonight. There ain't no one else I could a gone with.' There was no reply and Sammy, seeming not to notice, continued talking in a matter-of-fact tone that soon, for such is the way of a woman, won him from his mood, and the two chatted away like the good comrades they had always been. Just after they had crossed Fall Creek, at Slick Rock Ford, some two miles below the mill, young Matt leaned from his saddle, and for a little way studied the ground carefully. When he sat erect again, he remarked, with the air of one who had reached a conclusion, "'Wouldn't wonder, but there'll be doin's at Ford's tonight, sure enough.' "'There's sure to be,' returned the girl. "'Everybody'll be there. Mandy's folks from over on Long Creek are comin', and some from the mouth of the James. Mandy wanted Daddy to play for him, but he says he can't play for parties no more, and they got that old fiddlin' Jake from the flag neighborhood, I guess.' "'There'll be something a heap more excitin' than fiddlin' and dancin', according to my guess,' returned young Matt. "'What do you mean?' asked Sammy. Her escort pointed to the print of a mule's shoe in the soft soil of the low bottom land. "'That there's Wash Gibbs's done mule, and he's headed down the creek for Jennings's still. Wash'll meet a lot of his gang from over on the river, and likes not they'll go from there to the party.' I wish your dad was going to do the playin' tonight. It was full dark before they reached the Ford clearing. The faint, far-away sound of a violin, seeming strange and out of place in the gloomy solitude of the great woods, first told them that other guests had already arrived. Then, as they drew nearer and the tones of the instrument grew louder, they could hear the rhythmic swing and beat of heavily shod feet upon the rough board floors with the shrill cries of the caller and the half-savage, half-pathetic sing-song of the backwoods dancers, singing Missouri Gal. 
Reaching the edge of the clearing, they involuntarily checked their horses, stopping just within the shadow of the timber. Here the sound of the squeaking fiddle, the shouting collar, the stamping feet, and the swinging dancers came with full force, and through the open door and windows of the log house they could see the wheeling, swaying figures of coatless men and calico-gowned women, while the light streaming out opened long lanes in the dusk. About them, in the forest's edge, standing in groups under the trees, were the shadowy forms of saddle-horses and mules, tied by their bridle-reins to the lower branches, and nearer to the cabin two or three teams, tied to the rail-fence, stood hitched to big wagons in which were splint-bottomed chairs for extra seats. During the evening the men tried in their rough, good-natured way to joke young Matt about taking advantage of Ollie Stewart's absence but they very soon learned that, while the big fellow was ready to enter heartily into all the fun of the occasion, he would not receive as a jest any allusion to his relation to the girl whom he had escorted to the party. Sammy, too, when her big companion was not near, suffered from the crude wit of her friends. "'Ollie Stewart don't own me yet,' she declared with a toss of the head when someone threatened to write her absent lover. "'No,' replied one of her tormentors, but you ain't aimin' to miss your chance of going to this city to live with them big bugs. In the laugh that followed, Sammy was claimed by a tall woodsman for the next dance, and escaped to take her place on the floor. "'Well, Ollie'll sure make a good man for her,' remarked another joker. "'If he don't walk the chalk, she can take him cross her knee and wallop him.' "'She'll surely marry him all right,' said the first, "'cause he's got the money.' but she's going to have a heap of fun making young Matt play the fool before she leaves the woods. He ain't took his eyes off her tonight. Everybody's laughing at him. I notice they take mighty good care to laugh behind his back, flashed little black-eyed Annie Brooke from the Cove neighborhood. Young Matt, who had been dancing with Mandy Ford, came up behind the group just in time to hear their remarks. Two or three who saw him within hearing tried to warn the speakers, but while everybody around them saw the situation, the two men caught the frantic signals of their friends too late. The music suddenly stopped. The dancers were still. By instinct every eye in the room was fixed upon the little group as the jokers turned to face the object of their jests. The big mountaineer took one long step toward the two who had spoken, his brow dark with rage, his huge fists clenched. But even as his powerful muscles contracted for the expected blow, the giant came to a dead stop. Slowly his arm relaxed. His hand dropped to his side. Then, turning deliberately, he walked to the door, the silent crowd parting to give him way. As the big man stepped from the room, a gasp of astonishment escaped from the company, and the two jokers, with frightened faces, broke into a shrill, nervous laughter. Then a buzz of talk went round. The fiddler struck up again. The caller shouted. The dancers stamped and bowed and swung their partners as they sang. And out in the night, under the trees, at the edge of the gloomy forest, the strongest man in the hills was saying over and over to the big, white-faced sorrel, I don't dare do it. I don't dare. Dad Howitt wouldn't. He sure wouldn't. Very soon two figures left the house and hurried toward a bunch of saddle-horses nearby. They had untied their animals and were about to mount, 
when suddenly a huge form stepped from the shadows to their horses' heads. "'Put up your guns, boys,' said young Matt calmly. "'I reckon you know that if I'd wanted trouble, it would have been all over before this.' The weapons were not drawn, and the big man continued. "'Dad Howitt says a feller always whips himself every time he fights when there ain't no—no no principle evolved. I don't guess Dad would see airy principle in this, cause there might be some truth in what you boys said. I reckon I am something at playin' a fool, but it would have been a heap safer for you to let folks find it out for themselves.' "'We were all just a foolin', Matt,' muttered one. "'That's all right,' returned the big fellow. "'but you'd better tie up again and go back into the house and dance a while longer. "'Folks might think you was scared if you was to leave so soon.'" End of chapters 14 and 15